What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. generally do these podcasts pretty free form. Uh, the way our, our kind of work process works is that Kate usually comes up with, you know, kind of two or three bullet points like, okay, we're going to talk about these things, right? And besides that, there's no script or anything like that. And you can probably tell by the way I talk that there's no script and there's no ums and stuff like that written down on some document. But in any case, mo- news changes quickly. And just as we were uh, getting ready to press record, we got this news of this hiccup with the Hunter Biden plea deal. And then we were we were um, uh, on hold or kind of sidetracked for 15 or 20 minutes trying to trying to figure out what was going on. Um, and we still haven't quite figured out what was going on. So, uh, you know, because it's a it sort of an unclear story. You probably listening to this a bit later, you're going to have a better sense of what happened than uh, we did. Uh, but it's just sort of an example of how we have to roll with the news as it as it unfolds. And the best I can understand here, you know, the the initial alerts were Hunter Biden plea deal falls apart, judge rejects Hunter Biden plea deal. Um, Neither of those seem to be true. One of them could have been true, but was not because now they seem to have at least based on what we could pull together uh, on the fly that they have finalized the plea deal. The judge never rejected it, at least Our current understanding, my current understanding, is that the judge uh, posed a hypothetical to both parties, and that hypothetical was, is, is, is Hunter Biden immunized from other potential crimes or uh, not not future crimes. No one's no one's immunized from future crimes, but other things that might be investigated. And she explicitly uh, included as a hypothetical uh, potential foreign rep, you know, representation of foreign governments. And this has been kind of the hobby horse of uh, Republicans, that this is not, you know, that this was not uh, covered. And um, now, and, and, and an, an additional wrinkle to this is that the judge is a Trump appointee, but appears to be a Trump appointee. And again, all of this is very provisional because we've just kind of put this together uh, on the fly, um, appears to be one of these Trump appointees wh- where you'll come, wh- where the parties will come to a deal. Kind of like, all right, you want this one person, and we'll we'll um, approve that person if you give us, you know, basically a a, a democratic uh, judge. So the judge is a is is a Trump appointee, but may not be a Trump appointee in the way that is no, you know, in the way we normally understand uh, what what that means. So in any case, um, the judge asked this, and uh, you know, is is he is Hunter Biden? Uh, immune for other crimes besides what we're talking about here. And the prosecutor said, no. And the the Biden lawyer said, what the fuck? You know, deals off, basically. And we got into a whole conversation uh, here uh, with my um, with my co-host, Kate Riga, and actually um, uh, 
uh, our uh, Joe Regazzo is 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 um, stepping in for Jackie Wilhelm, our producer this week, since uh, Jackie is is away. Uh, in any case, so we're trying to you know uh, parse this, figure it out, and the way that you know the way that um, plea deals generally work is you have something the government is investigating you for. And you make a deal and say that, okay, I'm going to plead to this to this thing, and that's it for this investigation. That's closed out. I have finality. And that's why you have a plea deal. You plead to some things that you might not be convicted of to get certainty and closure on the whole thing. Now, uh, it's never the case that a plea deal immunizes you from crimes that the prosecutors didn't even know about, right? If you're if you're if you're coming to a plea deal on tax stuff, and it turns out you killed someone, that's not you're not you know the plea deal doesn't cover that, and it certainly doesn't cover things that might happen in the future. Um, and generally, a plea deal is is able to capture that distinction in the way it's structured. And so what happened here? Um, this, this idea that, um, that, you know, does it cover everything wasn't new. This came up right at the very beginning because the DOJ put out a statement from the prosecutor that kind of said in passing that the investigation continues. And the right kind of seized on that and said, aha, it's not over. We're still investigating Hunter Biden. And um, others kind of generally dismissed it because if the whole thing's still ongoing, why are you plea why are you pleading out? Right? That doesn't quite make sense. So the judge brings this up, it causes this. Now we as we were as we were trying to figure this out on the fly, it turns out that the the two sides reconvened and uh, did a revised plea deal. And this one covers generally the years in question that we've known about. And it covers uh, tax offenses, drug use, and gun possession, which are the, you know, the specific things that seem to be being investigated. It does not cover potential foreign representation. Now, I think that probably means that the Biden people have some relative confidence that they're not really in jeopardy over that. Um, you know, I'm not sure why you would basically continue with the same deal if you thought you were. And if you thought you were in jeopardy, I think this distinction would have already been litigated. In the in the in the colloquial sense of the word, in any case, uh, that's where that is. You're probably going to know more than um, than uh, we do uh, because you know there will be subsequent reporting, and these things will will probably get hashed out. You know, in in general, there was uh, Kate was was telling me because I think she was dipping into the Twitter you know rhinosphere as all this was happening, and. Uh, you know the conservatives are. Uh, I don't know. It, it would it would be sort of like if um, if if someone if someone if there was a news story that came out a month after Trump's election in 2016. Suddenly it's like, hey, Hillary might have won. You know, you'd have every Democrat getting on there and like, I don't know. Uh, you know, what do you do when all your hopes that were dashed are suddenly restored? So. In any case, my, my general sense on these kind of things is, I mean, look, Hunter Biden was out there for like five or six years in the period basically after his brother died, doing like tons of drugs and trying to make tons of money like everywhere. And if he broke the law, then uh, he should be accountable for it. I'm totally fine with that. I have pretty high confidence just because I have a sense of who he is that I don't think this stuff touches Joe Biden, which has always been, I think, the 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 sort of the larger reality. And frankly, if it really does touch Joe Biden, if Joe Biden actually runs the Biden crime family, 
right and this stuff is all true, then he should be accountable too. You know, I, I think there's, uh, you know, that should be obvious, but I think there's, you know, generally this sense that a lot of people kind of live within the drama of the Republican investigations world. You know, and frankly, I, I've seen enough of these over like a quarter century that I kind of know how they work. Um, and I kind of choose not to do that. So that's where we are on the Hunter Biden thing. Aside from that, we're basically going to talk about Ron DeSantis and, and you know, his, what is it, you know, the sort of the ongoing bleeding out of his campaign. Yesterday, uh, they fired a third of their staff because they're running out of money. Uh, and one of those they fired, I was going to say that they fired, they fired a third of their staff because they, they decided to fire all the active Nazis on their staff. But in fact, it seemed to have been mainly budgetary. Um, but they did fire this one guy, Nate Hochman. I think I've got that right. H-O-C-H-M-A-N. Uh, he's one of these, he's, you know, I, I have a post and I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, put up after we're done recording the pod and we, we record the pod, you know, right around uh, noon on, on, on Wednesdays. And, uh, it, part of this larger story of there's kind of a GOP operative class guys under 30, often under like 25 who were, 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 we're learning that a very large percentage of these guys who kind of present publicly as, you know, edgy, young, conservative men, which already is a few red flags kind of concert, you know, kind of uh, uh, packaged in, even into that. But it turns out they've all had their political um, awakening, basically, uh, in in the sort of the far right racist incel message board edge lord twitter world where you know racist memes and anti-semitism and all of these kind of like weird visual signifiers that you see in DeSantis um uh you know DeSantis videos all come from and so it's sort of another example of that. Anyway, we're going to talk about that. There's a lot to, there is a lot to uh, get into with uh, the fall of the fall of Mr. Ron. Uh, but before we get, before we do that, let me remind you that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Uh, if you're looking for the perfect cup of ice coffee, it's got to be cold brew. True enough, cold brew makes ice coffee that's smooth. Uh, less acidic, and way too easy to sip on all day long. And if you want the very best cold brew, it's got to be Grady's. The secret to their uniquely smooth cold brew is chicory. Chicory gives Grady's cold brew its distinct flavor, rich, slightly nutty, and even a little chocolatey. It also lends a subtle sweetness for a well-balanced glass that doesn't need milk or sugar. And with Grady's beanbag bundle, you can make it at home for less than a dollar a glass. If you're ready to give it a swirl, get 25% off at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Again, that's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Okay, uh, Kate Riga, what what are we? How did did we survive that that Hunter Biden plea deal little boomlet there we had? Yeah, I mean it's really good news for every kind of right wing media apparatus who now has their A, B, C, and D block for the day kind of filled out. Um, yeah, it was just crazy kind of scrolling through and you know. Twitter or X or what have you is so unusable now that I was just kind of trying to find, you know, what Twitter used to be great for, which is breaking news before, you know, reporters have time to put it into copy, just kind of telling you what's going on. But now because the arbitrary blue checks get boosted and those are all pretty much kind of like right wing Elon Musk fanboys, all the stuff that gets pushed to the top is like you know, a picture of the judge and saying she's not suicidal, you know, presumably for when the, Joe Biden murders her. Um, 
you know, the the cushy sweetheart deal has fallen apart. Like, Hunter, we're coming to get you. It's just like so completely useless right now. But um, anyway, big celebration over there, you know, even if it does end up just being kind of a more pedestrian narrowed plea deal or more a plea deal that has its parameters more explicitly defined uh you can feel pretty confident that it's going to go down as a massive vindication for uh you know the kind of leagues of people who hate uh, hunter biden on the right and it is kind of crazy how this their fixation with him it really has developed into like the current day benghazi you know it's mentioned in every news package that you know fox news airs is kind of and it's all since it's so conspiratorial and so kind of smoke not fire it's really easy to pull on a new quote-unquote thread you know or a new person who who says he knows hunter biden or whatever it's just like there's so many permutations that you can kind of squeeze out of it um and they clearly kind of like the fact that on top of the, you know, whatever impropriety and, you know, the the crimes that he pled guilty to, they also kind of like that he is a mess or has been a mess and that, you know, that's embarrassing for the president and, hard, uh, you know, hard for his, for his um, you know, place in the spotlight. And we have like a rich tradition of this in America, right, of like finding kind of the most troubled relative of the president and putting a huge spotlight on them and trying to make the president uncomfortable by having to kind of answer for this person, um, you know, regardless of the fact that they're usually just a private citizen and have really nothing to do with their relative's decision to seek um, higher office. But, you know, every like every week that elapses between the pod, there's more kind of Republican Hunter Biden stuff going on, you know, whether that's like Marjorie Taylor Greene showing, you know, porn in a congressional hearing to try to embarrass him or, you know, I don't know if you remember when they got their hands on that voicemail that Joe Biden had left for Hunter saying like that he loved him and he's worried about him and he just wants him to call, which everyone was kind of like, oh, wow, you caught him being a, a good guy, you know, but um there is, there yeah. is that there is that uh, um, a sort of a sub theme in 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 this whole saga of Republicans are so deep into the Hunter Biden alternative universe that a dad sort of reaching out to an obviously pretty troubled son um, and just saying, "Hey, I love you." you know, that's like, oh my God, <laughs> right. this is going to blow it all open. When kind of like, I, I, I do think, I mean, it, it, it is funny because we've, we've certainly seen, you know, there was a, uh, there was a sort of a boomlet a few weeks ago where I think it was that he invite, invited Hunter to the state dinner with the prime minister of India. Um, and, uh, various reporters got quotes from like Hill Democrats, like, what is he doing? Oh, my God. You know, what's Biden's problem? I do think in general, for a lot of people, um, this is what this is one of the things they like about Biden. Um, you know, it it's it makes him, I think, uh, it makes him pretty relatable. Right. I mean, we all love our kids and we love them uh, in a way that transcends their shortcomings, which is true of loving anybody. Right. I mean, it's, it, it's uh, loving someone means you 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 have a, a bond and you care about them in a way that is not just a kind of a, you know, um, weighing on the scales their merits and demerits, right? People can relate to that. And I think as a general matter, uh, uh, you know, that is something that I think people trust about Biden. Not that it's relevant to them necessarily. They're not his kid, right? They didn't, they didn't, I don't know, go on like a three-year Coke binge or whatever. Um, but it's, relatable and um, makes them think that that Biden's basically a, a solid guy even if even if obviously being 
too solicitous of your loved ones can can be a negative sometime, even for them, right? Uh, but it is weird because you see again and again Republicans basically saying, oh, Joe Biden says he loves his son. Nice going, Joe. Hmm. Right? <laughs> I do wonder if Joe Biden ever has any regrets about choosing to run, you know, seeking the presidency, kind of knowing what it would put Hunter through for the duration. I mean, that was something that this is not so much political punditry as it is emotional punditry. But, you know, this is something that we knew he was aware of when he was like thinking about running, that it would be kind of, you know, hopefully for him, eight years of unmitigated hell for like one of his you know, surviving family members. Um, I don't know. I, I wonder if that is, um, it's kind of the, the other side of the coin of what you're talking about. I wonder if that wears on him. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Just at least, um, at least based on, on the sense I have of him, which obviously is not based on any personal knowledge, just the kind of information that we all have uh, uh, access to. I do, th I mean, I do think one thing that is pretty critical is that they, they did not know that they would have access to this laptop, the pictures, the emails, and, you know, the emails are nothing I've seen that speaks to the president, but does speak a lot to what Hunter Biden was doing. And, you know, they're like, sex stuff and drug stuff. And, um, you know, we, we, we've continued to have, I continue to be highly confident that this was a, um, an illegal operation, quite likely a foreign based operation, because look at what we're, look at what we are Look at the story as presented. The story as presented is that Hunter Biden was so cracked out and off his rocker that he took his laptop into for repair into a repair shop and with without any real documentary evidence that he actually brought ever brought his laptop into such a you know into such a store and he happened to have the bad luck to bring it into a, a store whose owner would crack open the hard drive and just start looking through the stuff and then call up Rudy Giuliani and ask him if he was interested. That has always struck me as a bit of a stretch. It's not impossible. He certainly was not in great condition. Uh, maybe he maybe he brought it in, um, but I don't think that's particularly likely, <laughs> especially with what we saw back in 2016. And you know we've had this long ongoing debate about you know was it disinformation or not? Well, if you go back to what happened in 2016 really kind of the biggest thing that happened was that uh, some Russian military intelligence people hacked the DNC uh, email system and then just slowly leaked it out. Now, as far as we know, all those emails were real. It wasn't, you know, wasn't completely known at the time whether they were all authentic. Um, but the fact that, and I think there's, there's, we still get um, conflicting reports about whether fake stuff is intermixed with the Hunter Biden stuff. But generally speaking, I assume that all the things, you know, all the emails we hear about and stuff are real and like the photos, unless we're talking about some deep fake stuff is, is real. Um, but in any case, I, my, my digression and my interrupting you that I apologize for is to make the point that yes, Obviously, Joe Biden knew that his son was in a, in a in a rough patch, but they wouldn't necessarily know that 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 was going to happen. Um, and 
I continue to think that someone either digitally or uh, or physically um, broke into Biden's stuff and and stole the stuff, and then uh, somehow through one way or another. Um, sort of backfilled it into this story of dropping off the laptop and then never coming to, you know, never coming to pick it up. So that they didn't know. Although, frankly, after 2016, maybe they should have. Yeah. So let's talk about um, the kind of spectacular collapse of Ron DeSantis's campaign, wherein they're using this really nifty political strategy of kind of extending this bloodletting over multiple news cycles instead of doing it all at once. They're instead choosing to kind of parcel it out to make sure that every um, little piece kind of gets its own flurry of headlines. And the big one this week was, as you said in the intro, Josh, that they're laying off a third of the staff, um, including some kind of like, you know, more senior members, not not just the the kind of you know lowest rung type people, um, and those stories have come with just a glut of details that make DeSantis look stupid and flailing. You know, like the um, you you wrote a post about this, but we have found out that the candidate and his wife almost exclusively travel. By private jet, you know that's that's what they prefer. Um, and who so would that right? Right, <laughs> other people's money, right? Yeah. So that obviously runs up quite a tab. Um, you know, they kind of had being a, a retreat in like Deer Park, where the facilities look super nice and and top tier. Um, you also kind of have what was going to be an issue for him from the beginning in terms of money, which is. All of that initial boost that kind of came on the heels with his um, big performance in in Florida, all of those were like big donor people. And the problem with big donations is that people get maxed out quite quickly and then they can't make that kind of a recurring revenue stream. Um, So once you've kind of – and there's a limited pool of – people with that kind of money who are going to give to a Republican candidate who are not on the Trump train, right? That's going to be a self-selecting world. Um, And he has not so far fared well at all with kind of the smaller donors that are the lifeblood for a campaign kind of in between these big infusions of money. Uh, So all of that's kind of coming to a head at the same time. And whenever you have a story like this, you inevitably have, um, you know, the kind of anonymous donor quotes of like either the candidate is kind of messing everything up for himself or the campaign is leading him astray and they just got to let Ron be Ron kind of thing. And every time we've had these kind of bloodletting stories of late, they've been accompanied with a, and now the campaign's going to do a heel turn and we have a whole new strategy now and it's going to change everything. And, you know, I, I think as we discussed last time, that ended up being like an interview with Jake Tapper. That was the big kind of reversal. Um, and what you're seeing now is kind of some of DeSantis's support is starting to peel off and go to these other people. And I kind of predict we're about to have a flurry of like, wow, Vivek Ramaswamy was a more, uh, you know, a more viable candidate than we thought or another round of the kind of like Tim Scott question mark because they're like starting to inch up in the polls. But most of that is just coming from what DeSantis is shedding, which most importantly means that no one is really touching Trump at all, right? He continues to be in most of these early states, like 30, 40 points ahead, the rest of the pack. And then all you have left to talk about is kind of like uh, DeSantis is down from what, you know, 27% to 22%. And then that 5% has kind of redistributed to the the also rands, like right? Like Tim Scott or someone like exactly. that. Yeah. Or this, yeah. or this uh, Vivek guy. Yeah, who I I didn't realize the extent of his deep pockets. Like he's loaded. So he's probably going to stay in for a while, just kind of self-funding all the way. Right. I mean, my sense is that he's uh, he's a tech guy who had a few good, you know, a a few good um, exits from companies. So, I mean, he's not a billionaire, Um, uh, but, you know, the the kind of candidate who can, uh, you know, 
chip in a million dollars a few times. And that's obviously a pretty big deal. And it seems like, I mean, one of the things that these kind of candidates uh, often have, and by these kind of candidates, candidates who have, you know, no political background, you know, uh, no electoral political background, um, who no one expects much from, that you're generally running a pretty lean campaign. And the kind of things that make you not run a lean campaign, like if you're a DeSantis and, you know, set aside if you're spending half of it on private jets, but the reason why you know, the quote unquote serious candidates can't run a, a lean campaign is it's not just a matter of getting booked on Fox. You've got to be setting up ground games in Iowa and South Carolina and New Hampshire and setting up a fundraising, all, all the all these kind of things. But if you're someone like like him, you know, you're probably never actually going to amount to much. So you don't have to do that kind of stuff. You just have to get on Fox a lot and and fly around the country and do some, you know, do some uh, uh, show up at some diners. So you can you can you can uh, you can do quite a lot with a few million dollars if you're running that that kind of campaign. I mean, who couldn't do a lot with a few million dollars? It's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, you know, and then one of the kind of issues with DeSantis now is we're just starting to get it's starting to get late in the cycle in terms of how much runway you have to kind of like stumble a lot and then get yourself back on track. Um, The first primary debate is in about a month. And DeSantis has now been out there for a long time, you know. A good six months of de facto campaigning. Exactly. And kind of historically, there have been times where a candidate really stumbles or spends money badly in the beginning and then kind of gets their sea legs back. I feel like John McCain is probably one of the biggest examples of that. Um, and John in, in Kerry, actually, history. too. Yeah. John Kerry, four years early in 2004, was really kind of uh, left for dead um, late in 2003 and, as we know, became the nominee. That's a really good point. Um, but kind of – you know, especially with McCain and probably to some extent with Carrie, it's like when you're at that point, the candidate themselves has to carry a lot of the weight because the stuff you've been doing up till this point, like it, it didn't work, right? The whatever your ad campaign was or whatever your kind of media strategy, it just didn't work. And McCain in particular is like kind of a a historically good political communicator. That's kind of always been his bread and butter that people just like him and they think he's funny and whatever. Um, Now with DeSantis, harder personality based lift at this point. And he also doesn't really have the fallback anymore of being like, well, I'm still introducing people to who I am. Because as you say, it's been like six months so people pretty much know who he is and we keep getting all these you know these quotes about well we're going to do a heel turn we're going to do a pivot and it's just kind of like pivot to what because the fundamental problem with DeSantis's candidacy has been the same since you and I started talking about him a million months ago which is he can't or won't go after Trump in any kind of big way, yet he's also trying to make the case that he is the preferable option to Trump. And that has manifested in him kind of like running to Trump's right on a whole bunch of stuff and then also saying, but I'm the electable version of Trump while at the same time. And also no drama. No right, drama. The, the no drama Trump, <laughs> who also at the same time won't talk about Trump's legal problems or indictments or frame those as any kind of a shortcoming for his biggest competitor, instead saying, you know, this is the weaponized DOJ or, or whatever and kind of coming to Trump's aid. So it's just like, what pivot can you make when you still have no argument or you refuse to make the one that would probably give you at least some kind of chance of something, which is the, you know, I'm the real politician. I'm not going to do all the tomfoolery thing. And I'm then not a criminal. Got, right. And you've got I'm your not candidate indicted. being indicted like four times and you're just like, nah, I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, it is, uh, people have brought up as you did rightly, um, John McCain, 
uh, who, uh, you know, my, my, my precise recollection isn't perfect, but in late 2007, he did have to lay off a bunch of staff. Um, he kind of, he, you know, he, he was having funding problems. Um, as we know, uh, John McCain also had this, um, this fairly conflicted relationship with his own party. Um, it's, it's kind of, it was, it was denied later on, but he did kind of consider switching parties early in the, in the, in the, in, you know, early in Bush's, uh, first term, he had sort of made his brand about the sort of the straight talk and kind of, you know, having these little pet issues like campaign finance reform that were, uh, out of sync with his own, with his own party. Uh, but the thing that the, I think what is different about uh, McCain and John Kerry is a that there was a reason why it seemed kind of crazy when their campaigns cratered, which is that they were seen as like maybe not likely nominees, but definitely what you know two or three people who were probably going to be the nominee. They were front runners, so the fact that they were going nowhere seemed seemed pretty surprising. They also had long public careers on the national stage um and they they had fundraising networks all you know all of these all of these kind of things and um so they they had something to fall back on and they had i'm not sure you'd say i mean john mccain had a fan base there's no question and he had different kinds of fan bases in both parties. Um, I'm not sure you can say John Kerry had a mass fan base, but he definitely had a brand and a following in his party. And what you see with DeSantis is he, he really doesn't have any of that. And you know, it's always a little, one should always be very skeptical when you hear something like what I'm about to say coming from someone who doesn't like the person that he's talking about. No one likes the guy. And don't take my word for it. Just look around. He's not, he was not terribly, he was not well liked when he was in Congress. Um, he is one of the things that came out in this, um, in in the recent news revelations and the the staff cuts about you know financial problems and stuff like that is that his brain trust is kind of like him and his wife and they th that is kind of the you know every every candidate has the group the inside group right um and that seems to be his inside group and the people who are uh, running the campaign, the campaign manager, a lot of the very top people, many of them are people who have very little political background aside from being with the DeSantis's. And they seem to, they're people who seem to, that uh, Ron and I believe his, his, his wife's name's Casey, Casey mm -hmm. DeSantis, that those two trust. And that is, you know, the sort of the circle of trust or whatever. But what that means is, again, that's not a, it all kind of fits together. Not terribly well liked in, in, in Congress, does not have like a big network of friends. Um, that is hard. And then, and then you add what you were discussing, which is that the premise of his campaign was, was frankly always basically absurd didn't really make any sense. And this is why here I'm going to brag, going to brag really hard. I was saying like six months ago, this campaign is dead. It's never going to go anywhere. And it was because the premise was just absurd. It's a Trump party. Everyone loves Trump. And that's the, the, the sort of the foundational thing, right? Because now he's, you know, what is his problem? The problem isn't just that he's falling in the polls and he's kind of handing off some support to uh, uh, Vivek or Tim, or Tim Scott. Um, he's still like way behind Trump. So where is he even in here? I mean, you know, the other candidates seem to be there. I mean, never quite get stated. They seem to be there. On the off chance, and and probably um, Mike Pence to a to a great degree, 
they're there on the chance that Trump either dies or gets hit by uh, you know criminal indictments that are so overwhelming and you can't even believe it that they knock him out of the campaign. Or perhaps even uh, one of our colleagues, Kate, kind of pressed me, pressed me on this idea of a Trump plea deal. And at first I was like, dude, what are you smoking? Like what? <laughs> like, like what? That's never going to happen. Um, but as I was as I was talking to this colleague of ours, they kind of opened me up to it a little more than I thought. Which is which is, let's say uh, we're all kind of waiting for this the January six indictment right now, right? Maybe it looks really bad, and. The Trump lawyers uh, talk to him, or Trump talks to himself and says, I could do serious jail time here. And sure, as as many of us have discussed, his real argument is I'm gonna win the I'm gonna win the election, and then I'm just gonna pardon if if not, he doesn't the, the reality is he doesn't have to pardon himself. He he will run the Justice Department. So you just vacate the charge. I mean, there's a bunch of different paths to it. But the president runs the Justice Department, and the Justice Department can make the charges go away, even make the convictions go away if he really wants to, if they're convictions. But the point is, is Trump going to have a point in the middle of 2024 where he looks at this and says, okay, I'm probably going to spend a significant amount of time in jail unless I win this election. Like, How confident am I, am I that I'm going to win this election? Again, I, I still find it impossible to to believe that that he he pleads out, but that scenario was a little made me made me question that maybe a little more than than I might have. I don't even know how I got on this on this <laughs> on this tangent, Kate. But can you rescue me from it? Well, yeah, and I think there's one thing you were talking about how there's like some amount of people who are in the field just kind of like you say waiting for Trump right. to die or literally implode. or figuratively yeah exactly and then i think you also have the uh these people intersect in that Venn diagram as well but they're also the ones who are hoping that if he doesn't die literally or figuratively that they might get vice president or some other kind of administration thing so it's kind of like no skin off their back either way yeah. you know yeah totally totally um but you know kind of speaking of the rest of the field we got uh, new polls this week that solidified um, a certain number of people who will definitely make that late August first primary debate. Um, and it's what we've seen in past cycles, but it's like a combination of a certain polling threshold plus a certain donation threshold um, in terms of, you know, like individual enough individual donors contributing to your campaign, which has led to some wild and I can't believe our legal tactics to um, get more of these donors like Doug Burnham, Doug Burgum in particular is like giving out gift cards if people donate to his campaign. Um, and some people are trying to do like a is, isn't that a isn't that a straw donor problem? That, I mean, that's really, what I thought. Yeah. You know? I guess I it's guess, so original that that people just can't yeah, quite get their heads around it. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so the people who have qualified for this first debate so far are Trump, DeSantis, Ramaswamy, Haley, Scott, and delightfully Chris Christie, which is going to you know just make this required. I would have, I would have donated to Chris Christie <laughs> just to get him over the hump. You're not the first liberal. I've heard yeah, no, this. totally, totally. I want to see um, him in that thing. And then so far we have, oh my God, in the most like womp, womp, sad trombone thing you've ever heard is that Mike Pence did not, has not yet made the stage um and neither has doug burgum which is like a little bit less pathetic because you know who's doug who is doug, yeah who is doug burgum. um but but you said before we got started that that uh pence it's on the donor side that he's correct. still not quite there right because burgum has polls, his uh, his gift card scheme going so he's fine I really, I really wonder about i mean i i guess since it, it's a stretch since presumably the gift cards aren't, you know, gift card that will be adjusted to the size of your donation, but still, it's pretty. I, I've uh, 
we got to make a note to sort of come back. I mean, because yeah, it's, the others are doing questionable. The others are doing things that are a little less ludicrous, you know, like like selling a a sticker for a dollar or something. You know what I mean? That sounds a little more on the up and up. Um, but yeah, like like you said, Pence is in on the polling threshold, but not on the donations threshold. Burgum is in for donations and not yet for polling. And of course, for Pence, it's just the kind of thing where it was like. Dude, this was the former vice president of the United States. He's got near universal name recognition. <laughs> what what are you doing here, man? Like he's gonna have to they're gonna do you remember what they did last time when it was like the undercard debates for the people who like didn't oh, make yeah. the big boy? Wait, was that was that on the Republican and the Democratic side? I last think time? so. I think mm-hmm. it was too. I think it was too. I remember Chris Christie in particular kept like bouncing up and down, like to the upper card and the lower card. It, it is. It's it's funny because on the one hand, it's kind of sad and 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 demeaning. On the other hand, um, you, you know, if 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 you're holding forty percent, you shouldn't be up there with someone at two percent. You know, it 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 it. You know, who 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 knows? Um, but yeah. yeah. So it's going to be. I'm so fascinated to see what Chris Christie does because, like. Obviously, the way he's getting so much freaking CNN airtime right now is because he keeps going on and being like, well, I'm going to bring it to Trump. I'm the only one who's not scared of him. And like to some degree, that's probably true. Um, But we've also seen the kind of like pit bull version of Chris Christie before who kind of goes into these things saying he's going to go for the king kind of thing and then like settles for a jester. You know, obviously we have, um, you know, he like his his Rubio spats back then. Um, he has demonstrated an ability to kind of get sidetracked. And I think when he gets in this like pugilistic attitude to just kind of like fire indiscriminately at, at people around him. So we'll see kind of how honed his strategy is. Yeah. If, he, if DeSantis falls into this net as well, um, you know. Well, that was, you know, the, the, the funny thing about Rubio is that at the time, I think it was it, at the time and also in retrospect, it seems like maybe he was already kind of in league with Trump. Mm-hmm. Right. That's so true. maybe it wasn't an accident yeah. right? that he need that 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 uh, he needed to go after Rubio. And I think at least, you know, there was a significant period of time when it wasn't yet clear if Trump was the king. That's true. Right. And I, I I'm a little I, so there's a lot of weird. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of weird variables that at least for me are sort of uh, hard when we look back at it to figure out exactly what was, you know, exactly what was going on. Um, and he did, he did go after Trump a bit. I mean, obviously he spent most of the Trump administration as like a loyal, you know, yeah. and then he, uh, there was the whole thing. He was running the Trump transition I and mean, he became, he then humiliated himself as a total Trump fanboy, basically. Uh, but, it is a, you know, there's no, I mean, one reality is, and when you got seven or eight people up there, they're not just handing Chris Christie the microphone for the entire thing just to go off on Trump, right? He's probably only got one or two openings, right? Because at least at least notionally, you're getting asked a question. You get asked like, Chris Christie, uh, is it true that you're going to shut down all the bridges when you become president and then you turn around and just attack Trump? So you don't necessarily get that many um, chances. But the other thing is, I, <laughs> there's no doubt in my mind that if he could get, if he could buy a little more debate airtime, Chris Christie would like to also go after Ron DeSantis just because Ron DeSantis is 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 such a dweeb, right? Not because he has any interest in going after Ron DeSantis, but just because he's such an unlikable dude. He would just like to disembowel him just as long as he's, you know, just as long as he's out on safari, right? He'd like to take him out too. But it is interesting because certainly everybody else up there goes into that thinking, Ron DeSantis has to die 
for my campaign to live. Obviously, I'm speaking metaphorically. So presumably, if Trump even shows up, which is not at all clear, and in a way, it kind of makes perfect sense for him not to show up. Why would he? Yeah, why would he show up? I mean, he's going to show up and give Chris Christie a chance to attack him. I don't think Trump cares all that much about that, but whatever. Um, but by not showing up, he just makes it into a uh, a Ron DeSantis pinata contest, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody, no one, no one there besides Chris Christie, who's made it his brand, has any interest in attacking Trump. Again, remember, they're in the Trump dies group, literally or figuratively, and they they, they just want to go against DeSantis. And when you're when you're riding high in a campaign and you get into a debate it's like that and it's like that you you can always explicitly or tacitly basically say as everybody's firing you know as you're getting incoming for every from everybody you kind of say hey i guess this was what it's like to be the king everybody's coming at the king right shows that I'm the I'm the big cheese. But when you're not the big cheese and you're like flailing and your campaign is dying, you can't do that, right? It becomes sort of like a Lord of the Flies thing as yeah. as all of the 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 mean kids with their you know with their um, psychopathology coming to the fore are are attacking the weak helpless guy. So you know it's more like maybe Ron DeSantis shouldn't show up or he needs I I don't know. I mean because I, it it is kind of hard to imagine at this point to me Trump showing up because I just can't understand why he would. I mean, like three or four months ago, you might have said he's got to deal with DeSantis. So he's and it's such an opportunity for him to kind of humiliate DeSantis. But at this point, does Trump even care about DeSantis? I don't think so. Yeah, and I mean it's. What the point of doing something like this, like the upside is if you're someone who doesn't have a lot of name recognition, you're going to like get your name and your face out there. If you're, um, you know, an agile speaker, this is going to be a good showcase for you. Um, But Trump is like the most overexposed human in the world. So it's not like if anybody sees more Trump being a bully coverage, they're going to be like, well, that sealed the deal. You know, like he doesn't he needs no exposure by kind of not going. It turns this into the kids table. You know, the people who you don't have to think about that much. You're totally right that that leaves Ron DeSantis as the next highest on the rung. That's who everyone's going to train their fire on. Um, And it's not like he has to be there to kind of like keep them in line because I even in his absence, when the other people inevitably get asked about his indictments, they're going to put out the same kind of mealy mouthed stuff they've been serving up on the campaign trail. You know, um, they're going to get asked about January 6th and they're going to say something like, uh, well, should should he have been more careful with his language? You know, maybe. But uh, well, he he didn't go in. You know what I mean? And that's going to be like the harshest thing we're going to get. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's literally no upside to him going. And I think the only thing that would motivate him to go is his pathological need for attention and love of being in the spotlight and on the TV at all times. But, you know, he's he's been able to kind of slake that thirst in other venues, like not going on normal news shows anymore and stuff like that. So yeah, I think the chances of him showing up are like microscopic, but you know, you're going to have this like, you know, steroided up Chris Christie who's like going out there ready to, you know, aim to kill and who's going to be there but like small little Ron DeSantis. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. One thing that came out, you know, there was this times article that I, you know, Time is dilated these days, and I lose track of the, the how much time has passed. I think it was just this last weekend, so three or four days ago. Uh, this Times article that um, talked some about the financial problems, although before this big bloodletting last night, um, broke some news about that first of the crazy videos and so forth. One of the things, oh, and 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 about the private jets. One of the things that was that just got mentioned in passing was that. DeSantis is used to running under the Florida rules, 
And under the Florida rules, I think they have something like close to unlimited giving. Um, maybe there's some limits, but, but the point is, is that if you've got a few billionaires in your in your in your corner, you're good to go. They can basically. Uh, I, I don't know if it's if it's directly giving to your campaign. Sometimes there is. Um, it's looser what third party groups can be. One way or another, a few high rollers can can set you up, and there's no restrictions on on flying uh, the loaner uh, private jets. So basically, you can just zoom around the you know zoom around the state on the private jet, and you've got a few uh, billionaire donors, and you're good to go. So operating under the federal rules, and I I I, I don't know. I should know this. I, I, I guess um, I think it's still if you if 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 some billionaire just just loans you their private jet, that's cool. But it's a donate. It's a donation. I I don't know exactly. Um, in any case, it doesn't work like it does in Florida, and that is a problem for him. And uh, one of the other things that. Uh, came up in that well, not came up in that article, but came up in the stories overnight. Is that some of the hot, the senior people on the campaign who were let go? They were let go from the campaign, but they weren't booted out of Santa's DeSantis world altogether. They were basically hived off to the super PAC. And remember all of these stories about you know he's raised DeSantis has raised a hundred million dollars or I think originally it was one hundred thirty million dollars. That's the super PAC, and I think there may even be more than one super PAC. Most most campaign most uh, candidates these days have a couple of them. Um, and but but that's the key. so they're going to they are going to the super PAC where there's still a ton of money. And of course, the key with the super PACs is. You know, you get a few billionaires who each kick in like twenty million dollars, and you're good to go, right? There's no, there's no limits, and um, so, so you have uh, each of these things, and at least to my mind, I mean, look, as I mentioned in a post a few days ago, I'm not a big fan of flying in general. You know, even apart from the sort of the lack of leg room, um, but I get it. I'm sure. I'm sure flying on a private jet looks looks fun on succession, right? So it's not that it's not that you have to be some sort of uh, freak to to want to fly in a private jet, but I do think you have a a tying together of all these threads that to um, to have a mass donor base, and usually when we when we talk small donors generally speaking small donors is upper middle class and more affluent people it's not people who are like on minimum wage although certainly a lot of those people do make small donations but the real the 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 real punch with small donations is a you know a a, a young uh, lawyer who kicks in 100 bucks and since their limit is thirty three hundred dollars or whatever it is, they can be kicking in a hundred bucks through the whole two year cycle, basically. Um, in any case, the private jet, the lack of a of a mass donor base, trying to get all the donations from a few people—they're not people. People, the DeSantis's. That that's sort of the thread that um, you know that 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 loops everything. Uh, Kind of loops everything together, and it and it's causing them problems now. Because again, another point was made in that in that Times article is that the key with small donors, which is almost by definition online through like Act Blue or Win Red or whatever, uh, that just comes in, right? You send out emails, you do Zooms or something like that. But when you're getting money from the the richies, the big, you know, the the, the large, you have to go meet them in person. So they're having to go around the go around the country to these fundraisers more than other candidates would, and since they'll only fly on private jets, it's costing them a ton of money to raise the money because they're flying around in the private jets. And you know, presumably now they're gonna they're gonna come down to our level and 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 you know fly Delta or fly uh, JetBlue or I mean you can tell since I'm not a not a not a big flyer the the names of the different airlines don't necessarily come to mind to me, 
But um, it's a problem and it shouldn't have. Oh, you know, one other thing. And sorry for hogging the mic here. Something that uh, a, a Florida political, Dem- a Democratic Florida political operative mentioned this to me on, on Twitter a couple days ago, which must be known information, but I just hadn't, it hadn't registered to me that obviously a huge amount has been made of the fact that um, DeSantis had such a storming re-election victory, like 60-40, which is like, you know, unheard of in a, in a pretty contested state. I guess that DeSantis like outspent uh, Charlie Crist by like 10 to 1. Mm. Um, and that doesn't mean that Crist would have won. I mean, I assume one of the reasons that Crist wasn't able to raise a lot of money is because people didn't think he had a chance. But that did um, tell me something because if you can, if if you're if you're getting outspent ten to one, that can take like a a, a fifty three forty seven race and make it a sixty forty race. If you're just you know you're you're just sort of blown out of the water like that. So anyway, all the different ways we can we can uh, uh, stamp on Ron DeSantis' political grave while he's still uh, you know twitching and and fiddling as he as he as he bleeds out and doing debate prep (laughs) debate prep yeah no that's going to be fun and that's the thing he's not a great debater yeah so it's not even like he's like yeah they're coming at me man but i'm coming you know know. that really is like such a problem for him because you you have a skill set like trump's where he's really good at like media manipulation and kind of knowing what plays well on TV or you have a skill set like Biden's which is kind of the the retail politicky like person to person small event emotional mo- moments kind of skill set and then Ron DeSantis's skill set is like assigning super right wing pieces of legislation which is like not all that transferable to the campaign trail right well you know it reminds me cuz uh George W. Bush, at least on points, was a pretty bad debater. Um, what got lost a lot was that debates generally are not scored on points, not really, right? But what he was able to do, you know, so I think we all know he had a lot of the aw shucks, you know, he's, he's, he's just like us kind of thing going for him. But one of the things he had going for him during the um, primaries in 2000 was everybody's attacking him and he could just say like, well, I, I guess I do kind of suck, <laughs> you know, and just, just these kind of, you know, just these kind of things that y- you'd say, you know, but it, but it was because he was ahead. Right. And you can you can just sort of like you can just say something like that when you're ahead and everybody's like, oh, 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 oh that, you know, he de- he deflected that pretty well. Um, but when you're not ahead, you can't you can't really do that. Right. You've you've got a you, you've got to fight for your space. And um, and he doesn't really have that. So which I think what, what it tells us is that it's going to be a lot of fun <laughs> watching this debate. Um, assuming his campaign lasts until the end of until the end of August. All but, right. Yeah, there you go. So um, I think I think he'll be in it. But I, I I'm telling you, man, he he's it's it's uh, we don't deserve something this good as as the implosion of of uh, of Ron DeSantis's campaign. Although we will pay for it in the fact that even though I think and have some relative confidence that Joe Biden will beat Donald Trump by no means is it a, a sure thing. Totally. And that just the very real chance that Donald Trump could be elected again is, is we, we will more than pay for the, the, the joy of, of DeSantis's implosion. In any case, uh, that is about all we have for this episode, I think. And uh, let me remind you that the Josh Marshall podcast uh, is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You get 25% off any order with the promo code TPM. If you go to Grady'sColdBrew.com, again, uh, promo code TPM at Grady'sColdBrew.com. And I think that's all we got. All right. See you next week. Later. Bye. The Josh Marshall Podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter Kate Riga, and TPM founder, editor-in-chief Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. 
Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song. And thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen.